This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in the listening land, this is episode 23 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Tucker Merrihew, with my co-host in our virtual studio, as always, Steve Nassar. What is going on, Steve-o? Hey, Tucker. Great to be back on the show. We're back this week. No guests. We had a great show last week with Gerard and Richard from Ironbridge, but we got some good stuff to talk about this week in terms of the market action report and just some articles and things that have gone on. But before we get to that, what's going on with you this week? What's happening in your biz? Yeah, and no, I'm excited to get into the market action report. It's we've got just some stellar, stellar numbers across the board, and it'll be uh, it'll be great to get into that. So, a couple things. So, on the broker side, as a re- realtor in the trenches, along with a lot of our listeners, had a couple interesting experiences. Some of them were a learning lesson for my team and I. Two different situations, kind of the same cause for each of the situations, but different results. And and basically, what it comes down to is educating buyers that regardless of the house they find out there, we can help them. And in one example, we did a great job of this. And the other example, we did a we have room for improvement in this. Um, <laughs> and I think we talked about this with Joe Fistolo here recently. And he, he made a great point about it. it's so important as you're building that relationship with a buyer up front that you have that conversation. My team and I have even talked about, I mean, we want to have the conversation, but we want to systemize it in some kind of follow-up email that we send within the first week to them. But Basically, my two examples, one of them was last week we got an email from a client. We'd shown him a couple of houses, and it was a sweet email. It's like, hey, thank you so much for your help. It was wonderful working with you guys, but I don't need your help anymore. We went into um, one of the national builders' offices, and we wrote up an offer with them on one of their properties. And one of my buyer's agents right away was like, oh, why didn't you tell us? Um, We could have absolutely represented you, and she just didn't get it. She was like, oh, you could have? I didn't know that. And, of course, the builder's reps there weren't too eager to <laughs> right well <laughs> to, I mean, they're volunteer the that same right i mean they're not paying you the builder is and really you'd be looking out for their best interest probably more than say whatever in-house representative was there representing the builder right yeah and and i don't even think they get a better deal by that i i think those builders are pretty firm on their pricing they don't really fluctuate on it so there was really no advantage to this buyer other than the fact that she foregoed representation that was looking out for her and so that was a learning lesson for us. And we've we've chalked that one as like, okay, how can we ensure this never happens again? And we're we're brainstorming again some some ways to fine-tune our system. Had a similar thing happen with a different buyer on a for sale by owner, and that one went better. She pointed it out to us, she found it on Zillow. She said, Hey, I'm interested in this property. We reached out to the seller. Seller seems very firm on their price, and it doesn't seem like a bad price to us at, at a glance. But he said, I'm happy to put your fee on top of the price. So we we talked with the buyer about that. And she was thrilled. She said, Yeah, absolutely. You guys are, are great. We're, we're thrilled to be working with you and, and have your representation. So we filled out a seller fee agreement. And that's something I believe in. You know, a lot of times when I'm working with brokers with regards to commissions, perfect example, say you're doing a transaction, you write in some closing costs or they write in some closing costs on my listing and the seller says, hey, I don't want to pay commissions on closing costs. Well, a lot of times I'll just shoot out an email to the broker and I'll say, hey, are you okay with not being paid commissions on closing costs? They'll reply. Nobody has a signature on anything. And I feel fairly comfortable with that, even though, you know, 
others will tell you that you should maybe officialize a little bit more, but I'm pretty good with that. And the reason I'm pretty good with that with brokers is they are a professional. They have a license, they have a reputation, and I have to feel that that email is going to serve the purpose that I needed to for those reasons. Sellers are a different story. When you're working with a for sale by owner, you got to get everything in writing and you got to get it signed. So we are very careful when we have a client that's looking at a for sale by owner, we get a uh, seller fee agreement. It's a single party agreement. Just we put the name of the buyer, we send it to the seller before the showing, get them to sign it saying they're willing to pay a fee or build it on top, whatever the case is. I think that's so critical. If you do it after the showing and the buyer has fallen in love with the house, you could have all sorts of problems there. So a couple of things there that we work with on the realtor side. As far as the brokerage side, we're planning a really cool event that's going to be at the HBA. I'm spearheading this. It's basically, it's going to be February 24th. It's at the HBA and it's going to be open to all brokers, not just premier property group brokers. And it's, it's basically a team building event. It's all about teams. You know, when you analyze different team setups, there's so many different ways that can work. You know, you've got husband and wife teams, you've got teams where two brokers partner up. You've got teams where there's one agent and then they get an assistant. And then there's teams more like my structure, which you know I almost think of like mega teams where there's 10 or so people, sometimes you know even a six, seven agent team. So you're saying and, you got a lot of people that work under you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we have one other broker in our company that also did over $40 million this last year and has a mega team. And so him and I are going to be co-chairing the event and we're going to address the questions. There's going to be a panel Various types of teams, a couple of mega team agents, a husband and wife team, you know, a couple smaller teams, and then some team members. And we're going to talk about all the best practices of being on a team, the advantages of being on the team, disadvantages of being on a team. And we're just going to talk it through in a group environment. We're expecting well over 100 people for this event. It's going to be really, really cool. If any brokers out there want more information, shoot me an email at steve at nasarteam.com and I'll get you a personal invite and we're real jazzed up about it. It's about a month out, February 24th at the HBA. Yeah, What's that's going on really, with you, Tucker? Yeah, that's cool, man. Before I go into me, I mean, uh, maybe we can talk about that just for another minute. So is it a free event or is, is there a few bucks probably to nope, get in? Nope. Totally free? All free. Wow, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a huge resource. And really, you know, as you are aware, you know, if you're going to take your real estate agent business to the next level, I mean, you can only do so much volume as yourself, right? As a one-man band. Eventually, if you want to really grow this thing like you've done to your business, uh, not only on, you know, the, the brokerage side, but as an agent, you have to bring on team members. You're basically building your own business. And so, you know, you've laid the, the tracks and done that very well. So it would be a no-brainer, I would think, for any other agents out there listening to go to an event like this and listen to you guys talk for free. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And there'll be coffee and bagels, and it's going to be... We're putting a lot of effort and energy into this, and we're going to add a tremendous amount of value to the people that come to this okay. event. Well, while you're there, why don't you ask the HBA why they didn't give us any uh, real awards when we did Street of Dreams? I'll let that one lie. But every builder is using our stuff now, so you know, I guess we did something right that year. But anyway, that aside, so what's going on with me? Man, I went to Bend last week. Uh, I took off early. I, I know we're back, and I took another vacation. That sounds horrible, but I didn't really go on vacation during vacation week or weeks. Uh, I was gone for a couple of days and that was it. So I took off Wednesday and I was over in Bend. Uh, we stayed right around the corner from 10 Barrel Brewing, which was pretty cool. And uh, I got to go up to Mount Bachelor for a couple of days. And I actually, you know, it was part business, part pleasure. Business part was I actually met with the individual who um, we have our net branch under. So we sell all of our properties under TTM Realty. Uh, we build under TTM Development Company. So I wanted to build and sell under the same brand. Uh, and so we set up a net branch with um, uh, an individual that owns Stellar Realty. And uh, he now has, uh, he's got an office here in Portland. 
but he's got a growing office there in Bend. He's got about 20 agents working for him. I went, stopped in, checked it out, talked with him, kind of got the, you know, my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the Bend market. And, um, you know, personally, we've always wanted to expand to Bend at some point. I've always wanted to, you know, buy a house there first and then kind of grow it from there. So we're we're kind of laying the tracks for that as we move forward into the future. I really love it over there. I just think it's a fantastic community. Obviously, I love snowboarding, so you know it goes hand in hand. But there's all kinds of other stuff you can do there as well. But man, I tell you, I was driving through downtown Bend, and it is like, I mean, there's construction on every corner. That every restaurant is full. I mean, that town is booming right now, and it's it's great to see because it cratered pretty hard during the real estate collapse. So anyway, we, we did that, and then I also looked at uh, some opportunities in um, Lapine, which I know it sounds a little po dunk for those of you that are not from Central Oregon, but Lapine is about 20 minutes uh, outside of Bend, and it's about five minutes away from Sun River, and um, there's a lot of opportunity there, I think. So we're looking at doing some, uh, you know, some lot acquisitions there, and uh, eventually build them out. And uh, it looks like it might be a good opportunity for us moving forward. We can do a lot with a little bit of capital over there because the price points are fairly low. So, you know, just some some cool stuff kind of on the horizon, not immediately, but, you know, maybe as we wrap up 2016 and we head into 2017, I'm always kind of looking ahead to see what's going on. But here locally, back in the office this week, uh, we've got uh, one house that uh, is completely framed in the Lake Grove area where uh, we got plumbing in. We're doing electrical today. You know, we're hoping to have this thing wrapped up in the next two to three months. And uh, we've had a lot of calls on it. So, you know, that kind of segues a little bit into the market activities section of the show. Uh, you know, we can't, as fast as we can build them, we're selling them right now and we're getting people calling. You know, if I put a sign up on the house, I mean, we're getting calls almost every day. Hey, what's the deal with this house? When's it going to be for sale? What the, what's the price point? How many beds? How many baths? How many square feet? So there's a lot of people out there looking and especially, you know, for those types of properties that are in nicer infill areas that are already established and nice and uh, we can provide that turnkey new new construction product within that, especially in Lake Oswego because that's where we focus most of our, our efforts these days. But um you know, we're busy, busy. We got a, we're doing a dig out today or we're setting forms today for a new foundation for uh, the project that's right around the corner from this past year's Street of Dreams. And um, we're actually building a modified version of my house there. So that's going to be really cool to kind of see that start to go vertical. And, you know, we got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. So things, things are cranking. Things are really moving. One thing I will say, kind of a negative experience from the past week, and maybe this is something that, you know, I, I've learned from, but uh, as you had something that you learned from, we had a house that we sold to uh, a, a couple buyers about five months ago, and the buyers came to us directly, kind of like you know your um, clients did with another builder. We're obviously not a big national builder, but they came to us directly mainly because they wanted to get a better deal, right? And so you know we met their request, we gave them a solid deal on the house, and here we are about five months later, six months later. Well, they decided they wanted to sell the house. I don't know exactly why, but I'm speculating that it has to do with money because they're selling it for about 110000 more than we sold it to them for. So they basically lived there for five months. It went pending in three days, by the way. So I, I'm, I'm suspecting they got pretty close to their asking price in a very hot neighborhood uh, in Lake Oswego, which is fine. I'm not irritated with the fact that they're making hundred grand on us. We agreed to sell it for what we sold it for. We made our money. They are making their money. That's great. The problem I had is that they put it up for sale. Four days later, it was, or three days later, it was pending at probably very close to this price. But then about a week later, we get a call from the buyers who said, hey, we're selling our house. We're in contract with the new buyers. We're through the inspection period, and we have these items that the buyer wants fixed. We want you to fix them as part of your builder warranty. Well, 
the way that we do things is, is that if it's an emergency, we come back and fix things. That's the way it always works. But if it's punchless, knickknack stuff, we come back at 11 months, we do a walk through the home, we identify all the items, and then we identify the ones that are warrantable, and then we set up a sub repair schedule that takes place over the next two to four weeks to repair things. Well, they wanted to expedite this because they didn't want to have to do anything to you know, punch out the house for their new buyers. I told them, I'm sorry, it's not the way it works, but in this case, we'll transfer our builder warranty to your new buyers. Just give them the paperwork, have them get in touch with us, and we'll do the same thing that we always do, but at the month mark. Well, they didn't like that answer, so what they did is they had their realtor chase me down, who's been harassing me you know, fairly consistently for the last week. Finally, they, I, I haven't heard from her anymore, but basically she came at me with the same thing. I explained to her the same thing I told the buyers, which they just those type of people that don't like to hear no, apparently. And she then proceeded to tell me that that's not the industry norm and basically threatening my reputation because I wouldn't, you know, uh, adhere to what it is that they wanted me to do. So first thing is this. Number one is we come back when we come back. That's the way it works. If you sell early, well, we're happy to transfer the warranty to you, your new buyers. But number two is we're not going to get in the middle of a sale with another agent, a home inspector, a time restriction, all these things that you throw us in the middle of and now want us to fix things. And by the way, there were things on the list that weren't warrantable, but they just wanted us to do them. So now I've got to get into a conversation about what's warrantable, what's not warrantable, do it within a timeline, meet an inspector's criteria, meet another buyer's criteria, meet another agent's criteria. You have all these things. And when I politely told the agent that that's just not something we're going to do, they then threatened my reputation and said that it wouldn't be good for my reputation around town not to do these things. So I guess the point is, is that sometimes when realtors put on their super realtor capes and they just try and do too much, it can be really irritating. And I, I felt like we handled this in a very fair manner, but you know, you just can't please everybody sometimes. So the thing that I do now is we're actually changing our warranty to specifically mention a case like this, which has never happened, but now there's specific verbiage in our warranty so that there's absolutely no question to how it gets handled. So that was my learning experience for the week, Steve. Figured uh, if you were going to share one, I'll share one too. Yeah, no, that that was a good call on your part. I fully understand why you want to be nowhere near the middle of that interchange. And yeah, that's unfortunate that they're not taking that the right way. But I think, are they agreeing to transfer the warranty? I mean, has that seemed- I haven't heard anything more from them. Obviously, we're agreeing. I mean, we're the ones that have to do the work and come out and put in all the effort. So we're agreeing to do it. And that's, you know, only fair. That's the fair thing to do. And so that's what we're planning on doing. Whether or not we hear from these people or not moving forward, you know, it's up to them to contact us. But obviously, we'll stand behind our work, which we always do. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, interesting story. But uh, beyond that, we've got the market action report and things are crazy out there numbers wise. For any of you guys listening, you probably heard that we had a ridiculously low number that came out for inventory for December, which was 1.2 months. And so with that said, Steve, why don't you take it away with uh, any points of interest that you saw in that report? But also you got a few articles that uh, we can talk about, too. Yeah. So look, plain and simple, the market is hot and it really, really heated up there in December. We talked towards the end of last year, we talked and we had a show about the Fed funds rate and movements and adjustments to that. And we were pretty specific in that conversation where we said, look, this does not directly affect mortgage rates. And we've seen that in hindsight, mortgage rates are good. They're they're actually down. However, and this is where I'm going with this, there is a misconception amongst consumers that it does. And we speculated at that time that this was going to get a lot of buyers off the fence, into a house, making offers, maybe settling on some level. Maybe they've been waiting for that perfect house and now they're scared that rates are going up. They hear, oh, they're going up a quarter, even though, again, that's not mortgage rates. That's the Fed funds rate. 
So they ran out there, and we just saw a lot of activity. I felt it on my team. We had a lot of listings that had been out there for a few months that suddenly went pending. And the data just shows this. I mean, here's some of the facts that we had in, in December. This is the best December ever since RMLS began in 1992. Yeah, we that's a crazy been, stat. I mean, that that alone is, that's bananas. Yeah, I mean, in other words, to be clear, that's better than any December during the previous housing boom, which we all lived through, you know, in the 2004 through 2006, 2000, early 2007. And we had some pretty good months back then. Like you said, Tucker, the lowest inventory, 1.2 months since 99, Prices seem to be getting really close to pre-recession levels here in Portland. We had some interesting increases. This December from previous December was up 20%. November to December was an increase of 25%. And what is that percentage of? Closings represented. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so close, close sales. Yeah, and I read somewhere in one of the articles that I was I was looking at that TRID may have affected this a little bit. Because if you recall, TRID was rolled out in early October. And we've acknowledged on the show, it's causing havoc out there. There are transactions that are being delayed. So some of the November transactions, as people are starting to figure out what TRID is and they're experiencing these delays, some of those November transactions might have got delayed and closed in December, which really spiked some of the figures. So... There was acknowledgement that that could be going on. I also saw a national article that I forwarded you earlier today. This was on CNBC, and it was actually one of the main headline articles on their site. And we've seen a couple of these. I posted one in the Masters on Facebook group. Wasn't that about real estate being like one of the most desirable cities to move to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a new phenomenon for Portland, and you've you've talked about that too in the past, Tucker. I mean, you you mentioned how when you were in college, you know. It wasn't something you were in Colorado, I believe. Mm -hmm. you, you didn't hear, hear people going like, hey, I'm moving to Portland. I'm moving to Portland. I mean, it was something if you had a reason to be here, you had family here, you moved to Portland. But that is no longer the case. I mean, we have become one of the hottest. Actually, I'm going to go on record and say the hottest city in the in the country as far as major metropolitan areas. So this article on CNBC Today, was it was based on the Case-Shiller Index, which most real estate professionals know. That is an index that's out there. It's in 20 cities, I believe, where they take statistical data from all 20 and kind of average them out. U.S. home prices rose on average 5.8% in November. Portland was 11.1%, so about double the average. And this national article came out and said, it said... Um, and that was increased sales, right? Not appreciation? Well, there's a couple different stats here. The one about Portland was appreciation. It said the biggest gains in price continue to be in Portland, Oregon, listed first, by the way, San Francisco and Denver. Portland saw the biggest rise for the month up 11.1%. San Francisco and Denver trailed that, just behind it 11 Yeah, that must have been a month-over-month -month closings increase, but I don't know what the average appreciation is over the course of the year. Obviously, we've got some stats here we can talk about in a minute that's area-specific within Portland for year-over-year, -year, but I'll let you keep going before we get into that. Yeah, and just to wrap up, I mean, so my take on it was, look, December was an amazing month nationally across the board, probably largely because of Fed funds rate going up, spurring a lot of activity. But within that statement, Portland is the leader of the pack. So you can definitely appreciate why we feel, as you often say, to put it in your words, Tucker, it's bananas out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is bananas. That's for sure. I think that probably Trid had some to do with it. 
But, you know, we've talked about in previous shows, we sold a house in Southeast a couple of months ago that I said, you know, if we sold that three months earlier, it probably sells for 50 grand more, you know? And so I think people recognize that all of a sudden there was that lull where there wasn't 10 offers on everything, right? And you were able to get something for a price that wasn't way overbid. Well, now we're back to, you know, five or six offers on everything and they're selling for over list, but we had that lull. And I think people jumped on that regardless of time of year to really make that move. And I think like we also mentioned, you know, there's a little bit of upward pressure on mortgage rates as we move forward here into 2016, maybe trying to get ahead of that. And so it was kind of the perfect storm. So anyway, I think that, like I was saying, there was a little bit of a lull in the market. I think everybody jumped back in. They were kind of thinking, hey, you know, properties don't have 10 offers on them. Maybe I can get in and get one for a, a pretty solid price and not have to compete against, you know, nine other people. In addition, we've got upward pressure on mortgage rates as we head into 2016. So I think everybody started to jump back in the market. I read a couple articles on the TRID thing as well. I think there was a little bit of hangover from that that maybe factored in, but I, I can't say that that was the whole thing. You know, that was maybe a part of it. But either way, you know, it, it ended up being, like you said, the best uh, December ever. Uh, well, not ever, since, since 1992 when they actually started keeping data for, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But regardless of that, you know, a couple things that I wanted to take a look at was the actual appreciation numbers by area for year over year. So, you know, I'm going to this this takes basically appreciation from December of 2014 to December of 2015. So basically our whole last year, how did each area shape up? And there was a few interesting stats here. Number one, and the leader of the pack, as we talked about in a previous show, I don't know why, but it just is. And that's North Portland. And it came in at 14.8% change in average price for the area, which to me, that screams a little bit danger. <laughs> danger, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know what rapper says that, but hey, that's what I, when I see that, that seems like a little bit of a danger zone. You it's know, the I, only double digit one, by the way. Did you yeah. And yeah. personally, well, if anybody's listened to the show for any length of time, you know what my feelings are about North Portland in terms of traffic and congestion and just pain in the, you know, what factor getting around up there. So I just don't get that, but hey, that's what it was. Next in line, Southeast Portland, an area that I do get why it's becoming more attractive. They had a 9% price increase year over year, which, you know, that's pretty aggressive as well, but not in the double digits. And I, I understand why that number is what it is. There's a lot of areas that have gentrified in Southeast, and it's really brought the quality of the neighborhood up substantially. So it, it's more justifiable as to why prices have increased there. Another one of interest, and this is where we operate a lot, uh, well, mainly, is in the Westland Lake Oswego area. We're mainly in Lake Oswego, of course, but they only had a 2.8% increase in those areas. Now, of course, prices are a little bit higher there, but Southeast has got some pretty high prices these days, too. So I, I wouldn't say it's, it's astronomically higher by any means, but prices stayed relatively flat, kind of in line with inflation, really. So I don't, I don't really think there was a whole lot in terms of net gains uh, in people's houses versus what the dollar's now worth uh, in those areas, which I think is good because as we move forward, we have a lot of development going on in, in Lake Oswego. And obviously, we have to factor in in case market ever takes a, you know, say a 10% correction. Will that put us in harm's way with any of our projects? And, and obviously, it won't. That's how we, we operate. But it's nice to see that that's a stable area. We didn't have any major ups and downs. In the last boom cycle, you know, it was well into the double digits in the Lake Oswego area, which is part of the reason why it gave back so much as we kind of cratered there in 2009, 2010, 2011. So, you know, all in all, I think some of the areas make sense as far as annual appreciation go. North Portland scares me a little bit, 14.8%. I, I just cannot see that sustaining. I, I think it has to flatline this year and, and maybe it, it, I don't know that it gives back, but I think that it the rains have to get pulled in on North Portland a little bit. What do, what do you think? 
I agree. I agree. We've talked about it a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot of traffic issues out there. I listed a townhome near Alberta Arts District and went immediately into multiple offers. I will have to say this was we got an offer and it was a Bay Area buyer. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> it was not cash, but they had a ton of cash. I think they were putting this. Our, our price was four fifty on this townhome. We got a couple offers and this one came in over the top. They came in at five hundred. But that wasn't just it. It wasn't just that it was 50 grand over. They waived their appraisal contingency and they had enough cash down that they could do this. Wow. And they waived their inspection contingency. They said, we're going to do inspections, but we're buying as is. One of the sweetest offers I've ever had in, in strength all the way around. So I li- I'm listing another house. That listing got me another one down the street. We're going on the market with that one in, in two weeks. So I am seeing the North Portland craziness. Yeah. And I'm with you that I'm not c- convinced that that's sustainable, especially given some of the other challenges around those areas with traffic and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for you and your sellers, obviously. But, you know, I remember back in the boom, there was an article that came out in Oregonian about buyers waiving their inspection contingencies, you know, to get in first line, you know, first place in line to buy houses that have multiple offers. And so whenever I hear that, it kind of makes me a little nervous. But, you know, people want to live up there. And we actually a funny story about California buyers. So we do a lot of direct mail marketing. That's how we generate a lot of our leads that we purchase and ultimately redevelop. We go direct to the homeowner and we market them with direct mail. Well, I actually got a voicemail over the weekend from an individual that was uh, not so happy to be, you know, receiving one of our letters, you know, asking if he would ever consider selling his home. And the message didn't really have anything to do with their disdain for redevelopment or development companies because a lot of that is a lot of people in Portland just don't like redevelopment they don't like change which is fine I get it I understand but this individual and if I had his message queued up I'd play it for everybody but uh, he actually said that we're not interested in any California buyers money we don't want you here leave and so (laughs) he didn't do much research on me because he would have found out that obviously I'm not from California we're not California money we're not California buyers but the fact that he just kind of put the two together. Uh, it was kind of funny, and uh, he left a very uh, not-so-nice message on my phone that basically said that uh, California buyers need to go away. <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a tale of two different people. I mean, you know, you have people that are benefiting from the influx of buyers from out of state. Here's who benefits, realtors, builders, current sellers, or about-to-be sellers. But then there's a whole segment of people that aren't quite as thrilled about that. That would largely be renters who maybe are wanting to buy, but they're just not quite there. Well, this isn't helping them. No, no <laughs> all these, not really. All these influx of buyers and, and people maybe who, that person maybe who aren't immediately thinking about selling. So they're not as excited about the price gains that they're receiving. So it is true. I mean, there are different ways to view what is happening in our market and with the competition heating up with out-of-area people. Yeah, and I think like that article you posted in the master's group a a week ago or so, Portland is becoming a destination city. When I was in college, like we mentioned, I didn't know anybody that said that they were moving to Portland after they graduated, right? The only reason anybody went to Portland was because they had family there or, you know, just by strange coincidence, they had a job there, which wasn't likely at that point in time back in the early 2000s. And now... People are like, hey, Portland sounds cool. I could move there. And, you know, obviously I've, I've met and talked with a lot of people that that's what they've heard and that's why they moved here or they are moving here. And so I think Portland's really growing up. I think we as the residents of Portland need to also grow up and recognize that and, you know, not kind of hold on to the past so, so hard, I guess, or so strong in terms of it being a sleepy little city because we're growing up as a city and it's just not going to be like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about one thing you mentioned I fully agree with, you know, markets ebb and flow. 
you never have just a steady growth, 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 you know, strong sales, strong sales, strong sales. And you, you alluded to this. What happens is you have real strong month, real strong month, real strong month. Things start to get heated up. Sellers are unrealistic. Buyers kind of get turned off. Then things kind of start to, to, to backpedal and, and cool down a little bit. 10 offers no longer are on every property. Now the buyers jump back in. And that's a recurring cycle, even during a uh, good housing market. I'm not talking about the major, you know, changes from 2009 to 2015. I'm talking about, you know, from 2014 through 2015, you know, a span of a few months. And so I do think in addition to the Fed funds rate and the talk of rates going up and that prompting a lot of people, I think we did see some of that there as well. One thing that will be interesting to watch is the stock market, oil prices, as we're seeing the stock market crater, it doesn't seem to have affected real estate yet. And they don't always move linear, linearly, but they do play into each other at some level. Now, the good news is mortgage rates tend to improve when the stock market is doing negatively or when as oil prices are plummeting. Mortgage rates seem to be getting better and benefiting from that. So that's positive. But I did have a client that I was working with last week who kind of put their foot on the brakes because some of their down payment was in the stock market. And I have to think there's more people like that. So it will be interesting to see how that weighs into to the housing market moving forward. Yeah, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? I mean, a lot of people have their down payment in the stock market. And if their stocks take a hit and crater, it limits, you know, their down payment is now shrunk. Now, on the other, on the flip side, you have people that have a, a fairly good amount of their wealth in the stock market that may pull it out. Well, when they pull it out of there, they're not just going to park it in a money market account that's paying them 0.0001%, right? They may go park that in a different investment vehicle, that being real estate. So I think that there's definitely some potential shrinkage of down payment type funds, but I think there will be a vast increase in money moving out of the paper assets and into hard assets like real estate as we kind of move forward into 2016. So I think they're going to kind of counterbalance each other is my guess, but you know, we will, we will always see time always tells, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. All right. Well, that pretty much sums up my thoughts on uh, the market. Any, any final thoughts or comments from you, Steve, before we wrap up this episode? I'm excited to see all of the great things that 2016 are going to bring. So far, so good. Even though we technically weren't looking at 2016 stats, they are what is going to lead into the year. So it'll be great to see. Yeah, and I think uh, I'll just go on record and say I think 2016 will be a solid year for real estate. I think that North Portland will slow down a little bit in terms of price appreciation and maybe even flatline for most of the year. But we can pick it up in uh, December of uh, 2016 and see if I was right. So Sounds good. All right, guys. Well, this is episode 23 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Michael Jordan's number, LeBron James' number, and now the, uh, the number of this podcast episode. We'll be back next week with another great episode. But until then, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to our show. And make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Bye.